The following message was preached at Gospel City Church, a church that seeks to cast a gospel net for the people of Kuala Lumpur. Hi, good morning everybody. Uh, my name is Massimo and I'm one of the elders here in Gospel City Church and we're so glad that you uh, can be with us here in person uh, and those who are on Zoom who are on Zoom. Um, in Gospel City Church, uh, we believe in preaching through uh, books in the Bible. And uh, if you guys were with us for the last uh, couple of weeks or months, we've been going through the book of Genesis and uh, we've just completed the book of Genesis. Uh, so today we are starting a brand new book. So if you're here with us uh, for the first time, if you're, if you're new to us, it's a great time to start uh, in coming to GCC as we're going to be going through the book of Ephesians uh, together. Um, we called this series um, In Christ. What does it mean to be in Christ? And we had like a subtitle to it. So it's in Christ, called, united, empowered. And we will see uh, these, three, these themes throughout the book. What it means to be called uh, by God, uh, what it means to be united as his people and empowered for the new life that we have as Christians. Um, Paul writes the book of Ephesians, the letter to Ephesians during the time of his own imprisonment. Um, and we will know this from chapter 3 and chapter 6. And probably during around AD 60 to 62 under house arrest in Rome. And before I continue, um, anybody want like to have a Bible? <laughs> uh, we have a Bible there. You can raise your hands. We would love to give you a gift of a Bible. Uh, it will be yours. Um, also, it will help you uh, to follow along well in the very, very short text that we're going to be looking at uh, today. Well, if you're looking through the book of Ephesians, um, Chuck Swindle actually is very helpful in how he helps divide the book into two segments for us. Uh, he looks at the uh, first three chapters and he calls it our position in Christ. And then he looks at, our, at the second three chapters and calls it our practice on earth. Another way of looking at it is the first three chapters in Ephesians are talking about, doc about doctrine, our vertical relationship with God, and the last three chapters talk about our talk about being practical, living out our faith, our horizontal relationship with others. Um, the book of Ephesians is a, a formal letter uh, that, at its core, deals with what it really means to live as a Christian in both faith and practice applying the truths that you learn in the first three chapters will make it possible for us to live out our lives according to the second portion, the last three chapters of the book. Uh, some of the themes that we're going to see uh, going through the first three chapters talk about the sovereignty of God, it talks about grace, it talks about reconciliation, and then the last three chapters uh, will talk about new unity, uh, new walk, and new strength. So therefore, according to how we have titled this series, um, uh, In Christ, uh, we will see that we are being called, which is God's sovereignty and God's grace. We'll talk about being united, reconcil reconciliation, and uh, this new unity, living out this new unity, and how we are empowered, this new walk, and this new strength. Now today, uh, we're going to be looking at just the first two verses um, of the book. And if you've been with us through Genesis, this might be countercultural. <laughs> Uh, because we read like four chapters, 20 minutes reading through the Bible before we get to the sermon. Uh, today is just two verses. Um, so um, coming out of Genesis, this might be refreshing for some of you. It might be different. Uh, but yes, these two verses are, are really great two verses. 
Uh, sometimes, um, and uh, anybody here who is musically inclined, maybe you're able to relate, um, when a composer composes a beautiful piece of music, like a symphony, an orchestra, they, they write a whole bunch of different beautiful sets of music. And then he will go back and he will try to see how do they all connect together and he writes an overture, which is like the introduction to what is about to come. So in a way, you can see these first two verses here as the overture uh, to the whole book of the Ephesians. Um, so what we're going to do today is going to be a little bit of an introduction, uh, a little bit of an overview, uh, a little context, and some key points for us to consider. But let me start by reading the passage for today and then pray. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is God's word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We ask now by the power of your Holy Spirit that you illuminate this text for us. Would you help me preach this text boldly? And would you help us all to understand this text? Help us be convicted. Father, we ask by the power of the Spirit that our understanding will lead to conviction, which will lead to transformed lives. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, the natural division of this text uh, this morning is quite simple. If you look at the uh, first two verses, it's talking about the sender, Paul, the recipient, uh, the saints who are in Ephesus and in Christ Jesus, and then the greeting, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If you notice right away, uh, this has three times Christ in it. He talks about of Christ, apostle of Christ, in Christ, and then from Christ, um, God's word always points to Christ. And sometimes people ask us, why do we find it necessary here to preach the gospel and point to Christ every single time? Well, here, just in the introduction, Paul already points to Christ three times. And just like we imitate Paul, we always point to Christ in everything we do. And similarly, like this structure is set, the uh, sender, the recipient, and the greeting, we're going to... Um, structure our time together this morning. Um, the title uh, for the sermon, I called it um, Called to be Faithful. So we will look at what it means to be called to be faithful by God to a place for a message. So three points. That we're called to be faithful. First point, by God. Second point, to a place. And third point, for a message. Let's look at the first one. Called to be faithful by God. How do you call yourself, or when introducing yourself to a group of people, um, um, how would you introduce yourself? Uh, do you start with your job? Hi, I'm Massimo, I'm the executive director of Gospel City Network. Or maybe you say, hi, I'm Gloria, I'm an auditor. Or hi, I'm Jordan, and I'm a fitness coach. How do you introduce yourself? Um, Maybe you start with where you're from. Hi, I'm Cornelius, and I'm from Penang. Oh, oh hi, I'm Jan, and I'm from Manila. Um, or maybe you start with something you're really passionate about. Hi, I'm David, and I love cycling. <laughs> or, or, hi, I'm Yikan, and I love, really love coffee. Um, often what we call ourselves is what we think about ourselves, um, or what's 
primary, the, the primary identity that we give to ourselves. And it could be sometimes our jobs, it could be our passions. Um, how you think about yourself will usually lead to you introducing yourself, and, but ultimately it forms your identity. And identity goes deeper than just our passions and, and what we do. Now, I don't think you will introduce yourself in this way, but if you think about yourself in a particular way, how do you think about yourself? Do you say, I'm successful or I'm a failure? Um, I'm good, I'm bad, I'm rich, I'm I poor, I'm happy, I'm depressed. Or sometimes you think, oh, I'm the funny one. Or maybe I'm the victim. I'm the one who always gets things right. Oh, I never get things right. I'm the organized one. I'm a complete mess. I carry the responsibility. Don't give me any responsibility. Um, I have purpose or I lack purpose. And purpose is a big subject, actually. Um, Paul, when he introduces himself here, has a purpose and he's actually declaring his purpose. Paul in his opening letter is trying to introduce himself. And of course, he's trying to uniquely identify himself and he could have said many different things. Uh, he could have said, um, hi, I'm Paul, formerly known as Saul, and I used to be a persecutor of Christians. Everybody would have known which Paul this is. Or he could have said, I am uh, Paul, I'm a Jew, I used to be a Pharisee, and I studied under Gamaliel. Everybody would have known which Paul was speaking. He could have also said, hi, I'm Paul, a Roman citizen born in Tarsus. And it would have been clear that this is the particular Paul. But he chose to say, I'm Paul, apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. Of course, one point is that he's trying to uniquely identify himself, um, but the other one, he's trying to show that he's given to God, he has God-given authority to speak, and therefore he should be heard. It's authority given to him by God. He is an apostle, a messenger of God, a sent one of God. Paul's identity is based on God's call for his life. He is an apostle by the will of God. However, Paul was not always an apostle. At one point, uh, he was a persecutor of Christians. Um, Paul was a Pharisee, and as he was persecuting Christians at that point of time, he even linked to the stoning of a Stephen, and you can read that in Acts, and one time he was going to the road to Damascus. He was about to go and uh, uh, capture some uh, Christians, people who were following the way in Damascus, and on the way to Damascus, uh, he was struck blind by God, um, pushed off a horse, and God spoke to him and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul answered back, who are you? Who is this? Who are you, Lord? Who? And Jesus answered him, it is me, Jesus, who you are persecuting. And Jesus then gave him instruction to go in the city, and then a man came and prayed with him, and he was able to see again, and, and Paul was converted through this experience. And he got baptized, and then he was given a call to be an apostle. And if this was Paul's conversion experience, and his conversion experience is to prove that he was called by God. Now, when I say the word apostle, uh, usually we think about the 12 apostles who walked with Jesus. Um, Paul is the only one who did not walk with Jesus in that way, we read in the Gospels. However, from the book of Galatians, we know that he was called by God to be an apostle. We also know that Jesus appeared to him, both on the road to Damascus, but later on again, 
uh, and spend time with him to get him up to speed to all the other apostles, spending three years with him in Damascus in the region of Arabia. Now, when I say Jesus spent time with him, this is the, the buried, risen again Christ, right? So this is post-ascension Christ who spent time with Paul. And we also see this confirmed in the book of Corinthians where he says, I am the least of the apostles because I used to persecute Christians, showing that he's not insisting to be an apostle by his own strength, but because it was God who called him to be a messenger, a sent one. Now, just as a note, sometimes in our modern day right now, we see people calling themselves apostles. That's not the same thing. Um, so people, there's a particular time where there were particular people that were given a particular task by God. And it was at the beginning of the early church to set up and start up the church. And what their words, their letters became scripture. Today, as an apostle, or somebody who calls himself apostle, uh, speaks, it does not become scripture. Uh, they have not get, gotten that particular task to be an apostle by God. People sometimes use apostolic gifting, uh, a reason to call themselves apostles. Um, apostolic gifting in church planting often means that you have entrepreneurial skill sets, uh, that you're able to be a church planter. You're using, you're doing, you're starting off churches, kind of like what the apostles did uh, at the very beginning, and sometimes you call it apostolic gifting. But these apostles, Paul is a particular apostle, we call it often capital A apostles as compared to small a uh, apostles. Now, Paul understands that his calling is determined by the one who calls. He's called by the will of God, not by his own doing, not by his own will, but by God's will. And he's been called for a specific reason, um, to be an apostle, and we know specifically to the Gentiles. That was his particular call. Now, Gentiles are people who are not Jewish. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, sitting here, what does it have to do with me? I'm not an apostle. You just said you shouldn't call yourself an apostle. Um, and you're right, you aren't an apostle. I'm not an apostle. But everyone here who puts their faith in Jesus is called. Your conversion experience may not be as dramatic or drastic as Paul's, but you still had a conversion experience. And we know that every covenant partner here had a conversion experience because every single time we have somebody join our membership, which we call covenant partnership here in GCC, it's just uh, a church membership, we ask people to come forth and, and share their testimony, which is pretty much their conversion experience. If you came forward and shared your testimony, you are called by God. Now, you're not called to be an apostle, but according to this text, you're called to be a saint. That's what it says. To the saints who are in Ephesus. Our identity as Christians is saint. Now, when we think of saints, usually we think of a peoples or some people who have done some really spectacular and special things. And that probably comes from the Catholic way of calling people saints. Now, just to explain uh, what the Catholic faith uh, then says you need to do to become a saint. And that's why we think a saint is somebody who does something spectacular, because uh, according to Catholics, the first thing that you need to do to become a saint is you have to die. And then you have to wait five years. So after you've waited dead for five years, um, people will come and investigate your life, and then they will verify uh, that you are a good person, somebody who did serve God, and uh, then you'll be bestowed the title servant of God. And that's verified that you were a good, holy, righteous person. That's step two. 
And after that comes step three, and you have to prove a life of um, heroic virtue. So not just where you're a faithful servant, but you did something spectacular. And when they approve that and see that you've done something spectacular, then you'll be called venerable. And after that uh, comes step four, and people need to gather in your name and have to pray in your name, and a miracle needs to happen. If then that miracle will be verified, and if that's called true, then you'll be called blessed. Then the last step is people have to gather in your name again, and you have to perform a second miracle. Remember, you're dead. Um, and then a second miracle in your name. And then if that is proved correct, then you'll be canonized as a saint. That's a really tall order. But when Paul is writing here as an apostle to the saints in Ephesus, I don't think he's talking to dead people waiting to do two miracles. He's talking to people who are alive. Um, he's talking to saints, which means he's talking to the local church, which is people in Christ in Ephesus. Saint means to be a blameless one. Now, you're not blameless, or he means also holy one. You're not blameless or holy because of your own accord, but because of what Christ has done for you on the cross. And we know this calling to be a saint will ultimately be fulfilled because we're called by God to be saints. Now, one day you'll be perfect. You'll be blameless. You'll be pure. You'll be completely holy. And that will be fulfilled because God will deliver you there. And now, if we're thinking about the word calling and how you've been called, as mentioned above, we usually think about calling about our identity, and we think about it as purpose. So Paul had a specific purpose as an apostle to the Gentiles, and every single one of us here is also called to a specific purpose. Now, I have no idea what your specific purpose is. To be honest, I don't really know what my uh, specific uh, purpose is completely. Often we find ourselves in a situation where we're trying to figure out what is my calling? What is my purpose? What has God called me to do? And sometimes we overthink and we think so hard it, para uh, it paralyzes us. Uh, in small group on Friday, um, Caleb used a term called analysis paralysis. Uh, I think it's a, it's, it's a fitting term here. And I think often we are in analysis paralysis when we think about our own calling. We think about it so hard that we forget to live according to our calling. But let me help us this morning just to think about a few ways how we could be thinking about our calling. The first thing is, know that you're called not just to a purpose or a thing to do, but you're called to a journey. Um, you're called to a life of discovery of that purpose. And let me explain to you why, because God has called you to this journey, by the work of the Spirit in your heart, he has given you your conversion experience. That's by the work of God. And secondly, he has guaranteed for you the destiny for your glory the, through the finished work of Christ on the cross. So you're not called to a particular destiny of your own doing. God does that. And you're not called into the conversion experience. God does that. So what you are then called to is the in-between. You know your final destination. You know your starting point. So... You're called to live that life in between. It's a, it's a journey. It's a, it's, a, it's a process. 
Now, in that journey, you're supposed to be faithful in Christ at every step of that journey. That is what you've been called to do. Now, along the way, you'll be in various moments, you'll be in various seasons, you'll be in various stages. And the question that you have to ask yourself, how can I be faithful to the caller in this very season of my life? Now, there's a, uh, a little helpful tool I'm going to introduce now to help to figure out what God's calling for you could be right now. Now, this is just a tool. It's not God's word, and it's not exhaustive. It's not going to uh, do everything for you in that way. Um, but it's, it's, it's a helpful thought process that might help you identify. And that's thinking about three concentric circles and three circles that intersect. And if you find a particular thing where all three circles intersect, that might perhaps be something that God is calling to do in this season. Um, the first circle is ability. What are you able to do? Um, how has uh, God gifted you? Um, how have you nurtured gifts? Uh, what experiences have you gone through in your life that has given you certain skill sets? Uh, what, what ability do you have? So that's, that's the first circle. Uh, the second circle you think through is um, affinity. What do you like to do? Sometimes we're able to do things, but we don't like to do them. Um, I, I'm able to mop the house. Um, I don't like to mop the house. Um, I do it. Um, I don't think that's my calling necessarily. Uh, uh, my wife might disagree. Uh, um, but um, think about it, not just what you desire to do. And when I say what you desire to do, think about it more in a way, not, not, not just something that gives you momentary happiness, but if you find purpose in it. If it's something when you are doing it gives you a little bit of joy or even you know that you are contributing towards other people and they are benefiting from it and therefore you have that kind of joy, that's the kind of affinity that you can be thinking through. Not just necessarily action itself, but also the outcome. Um, being useful and purposeful can be great joy and you will only notice if you actually felt useless and without a purpose. And thirdly, so if you now have something that you're able to do and something that you like to do, well, the third circle is opportunity. So ability, affinity, and an opportunity. It's great if you like to do something and you're good at it, but you have got no chance to do it. And maybe that's not what God is calling you to do, or maybe that's not what God is calling you to do at this very moment. I mean, if you can run great and you like to run and you want to be an Olympic runner, but never get the call to run in that race and maybe that's not God's call upon you or maybe not in this season. Now again it's it's not a perfect tool it has challenges because we often find ourselves in situations where we're not able to do the things because we don't have the opportunity or we have the opportunity to not do our favorite things but the primary question you must ask yourself is how am I gifted what are the opportunities what do I like to do and how is God calling me to be faithful at this particular stage in my life? because you're called to be faithful by God. Your calling will always be in line with the caller. God's call for your life will always be in line with his will, his ethic, his morality, and his mission. And when you get a sense of understanding that God has called you to a particular season, to a particular work, for a particular purpose, even when that gets hard and difficult and you need to suffer and you struggle, and it's not easy, you're able to get through it 
because you know that God has called you for such a time as this. Now, Paul was an apostle by the will of God, and we all are saints by the will of God. God has called us all for a purpose. God has called you into a journey. Um, what do you think God is calling you to do at this very moment? How can you be faithful to God who called you in this season? Another way to help us figure that out a little bit is to think through where God has called you to. And that's our second point. We are called by God to a place. So we are called to be faithful to a place. Uh, Paul addresses this letter to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ. They are in Ephesus and they are in Christ. He's addressing Christians in the church of Ephesus. Uh, one commentator uh, said this about the Ephesian church. The church in Ephesus probably began under the ministry of Priscilla and Aquila, which we learn in Acts 18.26, which was an exceptionally gifted uh, couple who were left there by Paul on the missionary journeys, which we learn about in Acts 18-19. Uh, uh, later on, uh, Paul visited Ephesus during his third missionary journey, which is in Acts 19, and he spent three years there helping to establish this early church. After Paul's departure, uh, Timothy pastored the congregation for maybe a year and, and a half. Um, the church, or, or Ephesus, is located, which is now in modern-day Turkey. And Ephesus, at that point of time, was uh, best known for its temple of Artemis. That's uh, the Greek goddess, or the Roman version is, is, is goddess Diana. And that real magnificent structure was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Um, the influence of Artemis or Diana, um, the Artemis cult, pervaded every aspect or every facet of the life in the city. Artemis was considered the guardian of the city. Her temple served as the primary banking institution. So you will see her image on all the coins, uh, on festivals and games were held in her honor. Um, Ephesus also served as an important political, educational, and commercial center. It was a real great city at its time. It had about in a population about 200 to 250,000. Are you thinking that's Puchong? Uh, uh, but it is really a huge mega city uh, for back that time. So it's called actually the mother city of Asia. That's what it was called. Um, economically, Ephesus was the largest trading center in Western uh, Asia Minor. Now, I say all this to emphasize that it's not just a small kampong. Um, it was a hustling and bustling city. It's very similar to Kuala Lumpur. Uh, people from all kinds of places were coming to Ephesus. Uh, it was a place for business. It was a place of culture and a variety of religions. It means there was also lots of idolatry going on in that city as well. So as Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, he's teaching them what it means to be in Christ in Ephesus. What does it mean to be a Christian in the city? First of all, this, this already teaches us one great thing, that the Christian life is not meant to be lived in isolation from others. We're not supposed to create holy huddles, uh, little Christian ghettos to be separate ourselves from other people in the city. We're supposed to be in the city, but also in Christ. And of course, that brings some tensions uh, because the ethics, the values, the systems, and how the city operates, how the world operates, is different from the values and the systems and the ethics as, as Christians. 
So we are called to live countercultural lives in strong urban cultures. Um, Paul in Zeta really speaks of what it means to live as a Christian. He will speak about how we ought to be faithful to the life that he's called us to. And throughout the book, we'll see various themes. We will see how are you faithful in your inner life? How is it going between you and God? How, how's your prayer life? How are you faithful with your interpersonal relationships with one another, with people who are different from you? How are you faithful in the church? Are you being faithful to the gifts that God has given you? Are you being faithful to building up the church? How are you faithful in your family as, as a husband and wife? Are you walking in love? That's something that Paul would speak into. Um, how are you faithful as, an, uh, as a parent to a child? Are you raising your children in the way of the Lord? How are you faithful as an employer or an employee? How are you faithful as a Christian in this world? How are you being faithful towards the battles that you have been called to the spiritual warfare? Um, the book of Ephesians will speak into every single one of these themes in more detail. One way for us to think about the faithfulness is to think about particular places that God has called us to right now. Now, we are in Kuala Lumpur, in Klang Valley. Um, so how are you being faithful right now to the call of being a Christian in Kuala Lumpur, knowing that God's ultimate mission is to grow his kingdom in the city. God has a GPS system. It's a gospel positioning system because we are gospel positioned saints. Yes, and we have been positioned here in the Klang Valley and we can zoom in a little bit closer to that positioning system uh, right now and just ask ourselves, which, which are the specific places right now that God has called you to? Uh, we know that you've been called to Gospel City Church. You're here right now. Um, how are you faithful to God's call to be part of this church? Uh, we know that most of you are in the marketplace. You're in work somewhere. How, been faith how are you supposed to be a faithful saint in Christ in the marketplace? Are you rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not man? Ephesians will ask us. Um, well, we also know that you're supposed to be faithful in your family, either to a spouse or a child. Are you walking in love with your spouse? Are you obeying your parents? Are you bringing up your kids under the discipline and instruction of the Lord? There's some good ways for us to figure out right now how we are called as saints in a particular place and to be faithful to God. Now, where you are right now in this journey, this calling that God has given you in life, Wherever he has positioned you, you're not there by coincidence. You are there by divine appointment. God has a purpose for you in that place. You have a purpose in your condo. You have a purpose in your neighborhood. You have a new purpose as a saint in Kuala Lumpur called to be faithful in Christ. And as we study through the book of Ephesians over the next couple of weeks, and we'll be here until August, we'll take it slow. Um, the book of Ephesians will help you navigate through all these different spheres. But not just have been called by God to a place, but we've been called by God to a place for a message. And that's our last point for today. Called to be faithful by God to a place for a message. Paul says in verse 2, 
Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Martin Lloyd-Jones in one of his sermons said, when Paul says grace and peace, he's not just saying two simple words. He's not just saying the common greetings of the Greek and the Jewish people, charis and shalom, but grace and peace are two words that describe the entirety of the Christian life. Grace is the beginning of the Christian life. And peace is the end of the Christian life. It is this grace is the spring from which the Christian life begins, and peace is the sea in which it ends. The Christian life begins with grace and it ends with peace. So when Paul says grace and peace to you from God, from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, he's saying that it is the complete Christian life that I wish for you. All of what God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ have for you, I wish for you. See, everybody enters the Christian life by grace. It's not because of what you have accomplished or have done something special. You don't have to do all these things to be a saint. It is by grace. It's a gift. But that grace also sees us through our Christian life. It sees us through our journey. So as we call to be faithful in all these spheres, I mentioned earlier, we, we often fail. And if you would be dependent on your own performance, your own ability to live out the Christian life in this way, you will never be delivered into that peace. We would fail. We will not get there. We require grace, and grace means unmerited favor. It's a gift. The Christian life begins with a gift. And it ends with peace. Now, the word peace here does not just mean the absence of war. And it does not just mean rest and tranquility. It does mean both these things, but it means more than this. If you're not in Christ, you are in rebellion to God uh, through your sin. You are going against what he wants you to do, and therefore in rebellion to God. Uh, so in Christ, you then have peace, the absence of war. You're now God's child and God's beloved. Now, peace is also being in complete rest. And yes, in Christ today, you can have complete rest and fully in glory as well. Complete, perfect rest. But this peace he's talking about is, is even greater than this because the root word of this peace, this word peace he's using, comes from a root word of being joined or or being united. So even though all these things are true, he's talking about, uh, at its essence, the core of this peace is the Christian life is reconciliation. So yes, it has peace, and yes, it's the absence of war, and yes, there's tranquility now, but it comes from a place that there was war, and now that there's peace, that means what happened was reconciliation. And it's not just that there was rebellion, and now there is just um, an okay relationship, right? There was war and now there is embrace. You are now reconciled with God. It's about reconciled relationships. It's about peace with one another and peace with Christ. We once were a part of God, now we have been reconciled with God. And that is the peace that the Christian life brings a soul-assured salvation with a guaranteed presence of God through a reconciled relationship with God. In fact, every experience in the Christian life lives 
between grace and peace. And the book of Ephesians will talk about how we are to apply this grace in our life, which then leads us to this ultimate peace. But if the Christian message is grace and peace, and if you've been called to that message as a saint, called to a place, then you are called to bring that message to the people in your places. You are supposed to offer up grace, unmerited favor, undeserved love to people at your work, in your neighborhoods, and in your family. You are called to be a peacemaker. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. We are called to be reconcilers, called to be grace dispensers and peacemakers and peace proclaimers. This is a call then for all of us to love our neighbors, our colleagues, our church, our friends, our family, beyond what they deserve. Because it's grace. Often we want to give people what they deserve, but the Christian life causes us to give to people what they don't deserve. Unmerited favor. So we must be ever ready to wear these shoes of the gospel of peace. Dispensing grace and proclaiming the gospel of peace is costly. Living as saints in Kuala Lumpur with a message of grace and peace will not be easy. Uh, Ephesians will teach you that you will have to let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. You have to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. It would be difficult for you to be in Christ in Kuala Lumpur because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers of this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Ephesians will speak about that. And we are called to stand fast in this time during these situations. And you won't be able to do all this by your own strength. You will need God's armor for this battle. And guess what? You are able to wear the clothes of Christ. Because on the cross, Jesus won victory by dying and rising again. And on the cross, Jesus was stripped naked so that you can be clothed in righteousness. You can wear his armor. And through that, you receive power to be an agent of grace through the gift of the Holy Spirit. He who was worthy died for you so that we can live worthy for him. Only in Christ, by the power of the Spirit, will you be able to walk worthy of that calling to be a saint in Kuala Lumpur by the will of God. The only way that we are able to be ambassadors of that message of grace and peace is if we understand that we are firstly recipients of that, of grace and peace. And brothers and sisters, the, the good news of the gospel is that we are not left here alone to be able to do this by ourselves. God has given us a church. We are given a community that cares for one another. Now, it doesn't mean that we go into all our different spheres together, but as we go into the different spheres and proclaim that message, we can support each other. We can teach one another. And God gave us, well, the apostles, God's word, uh, prophets, and now evangelists and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry and for the building up of the body of Christ. 
This is the good news of the letter of Ephesians. And the introduction here gives us a summary of all that is to come in the book of Ephesians. So today, what have we learned? We have learned that we are called by God. We are called to be faithful by God to a place for a message. We are called to be saints as a church in Kuala Lumpur, to be recipients of grace and peace and agents of grace and peace. Because in Christ we are called, we are united, and we are empowered. And as saints, as we live this Christian life, we can sing praises and give thanks to his holy name, because through Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, we will be delivered to glory. We will fulfill our call to be saints, and we will be in glory and rejoice with everyone. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Uh, Father, we thank you for the book of Ephesians. As we open up uh, this letter, uh, Father, as we uh, look forward to the fullness of the text uh, to come in the coming week, uh, Father, we thank you for the reminder uh, this morning that we are called by you, that we are called uh, to be saints in Kuala Lumpur and in Christ, um, that you have called us to a particular place in the Klang Valley right now for this season, um, you've called us to our families, you've called us to our, our workplaces, you've called us uh, to our social groups, uh, Father, and uh, you've given us a message. And that message is grace and peace. And we're able to proclaim this message because you have given us grace and peace. And by the power of the Spirit, Father, help us to proclaim this message to all that need to hear it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. We invite you to learn more about Gospel City Church at gospelcitychurch.my.